Where am I? In the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. We want information. 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 You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Peter. Certainly am, except for when I'm not. Cecil is still dealing with the death in his family, so hopefully he'll be back next week, but he's got all the time that he needs. Sitting in for him is the Frederick Fritz. I am a prisoner in my own mind. Valentine's Day is coming up. If you want to get something to come up in you, go to adamandeve.com. <laughs> Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, just for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So it turns out I've been convicted of multiple felonies against the state in the future, and these two chuckleheads with me have been indicted as co-conspirators, what future prison are we going to end up staying in? Tonight's topic is future prisons. And the, the criteria, nothing like, nothing like escape from Alcatraz or anything has to be a future prison or at least future from when the movie was made because some of these are kind of dated. We're going to talk the about The cutoff tonight. date for future would be 1997. Fred, I have a feeling you are going to say your favorite future prison movie is going to be Escape from New York. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> It, it, I guess yes, because, you know, you'd kind of want in my head this idea of some basic line of freedom. I mean, you don't want like the running man, basically slave labor, you're, you know, you're building construction, device on your neck can pop your head like a zit. Don't and if you're not doing that, that, you're being forced to uh, fight and kill to survive in a game show. Exactly. You, you don't so there's, there's nothing that. good. Nothing good ever comes of it. So I would prefer comparatively speaking, that notion over uh, the other. So would you say maybe even better than Escape from New York would be No Escape, the Ray Liotta one? Where mm. you're, you're just on the island and you got Lance Henriksen's nice people and then you got all the savages and you got Ray Liotta like, uh, I ain't doing this, I'm escaping. Well, that one's basically just Escape from New York if that was just on like a sort of tropical island. Like you're basically just given the opportunity to build your own world and if there's other other gangs that are more violent than you, you have to fight them, but you can still basically live your life to your own accord and hunt for your own food and build your own home. So it's it's kind of the same concept. Well, I think that it's it's a city versus a rural, and I've always been a city boy. 
Well, when it comes to future prisons, you know, is it sad that, that this is a genre unto itself? That this is uh, something we keep going to? Because there tends to be the theme. This is not always hard and fast on these, but the theme tends to be a sadistic, faceless corporation has has taken to privatized prisons, and usually our hero is some sort of anti-hero who has was trying to do the right thing. The evil, faceless corporation is taking it over, is taking over his life. And usually, again, not always, prisons are run by a super sadistic warden and sadistic staff instead of <laughs> instead of yeah, just you much. know people you know guards that are just doing their jobs. It, it, that tends to be the theme. So let's look at some future prison movies. Let's talk about No Escape, since we were just talking about that. That's one that I think is kind of weird, because Ray Liotta is very likable in the movie. At the same time, we know he committed the crime he did. Didn't he shoot his, like, uh... His, his commanding officer. officer or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he shot his commanding officer. Part of you goes, why am I supposed to side with him? And part of part of it goes, well, his commanding really officer was damn uh, corrupt. charismatic. They they do kind of go into that. His commanding officer was very corrupt and like murdering civilians and stuff. So he did he did do what he did for the right reasons. It was just out of out of violence. He got he got tired of this like warmongering commander, so he put a bullet in him. So it, was, it was noble, noble, violent justice. These heroes usually, these anti-heroes usually tend to tend to dole out. Well, it's it's uh, one of these themes about all these movies is the future ones tend to deal with the concept of injustice. I think suppression, oppression in some way, shape, or form. I disagree with A, B, or C. They put me in prison, and then they invoke what I think prison movies have always been about, which is this notion of the human spirit. You can look to any, you know, uh, I don't want to say present-day prison story because most are set in the past, but mm. if you look at anything from Escape from Alcatraz to The Great Escape during World War II, it's, it's about hope and this notion of I won't let my spirit be held down. The Shawshank Redemption deals with this, too. I'm going to still be a human being. I'm still alive. My mind is free. You know, my spirit is free. Just my body isn't. And I think that's thematic even in the futuristic ones. Even Ricky O deals with that. That character yeah. went to prison because he was defending his girlfriend's honor, ended up killing someone or or injuring them badly. It's very violent either way. And that whole, even though it's a very cheesy movie, even when he's fighting the bad guys, the gang of four and stuff, he's particularly when he's fighting Tarzan, you know, they're locked in a cell together. They're forced to kill each other. That, that hydraulic press is lowering down on them. And Ricky, even at this point, even though someone's trying to murder him, he's screaming at the warden. You know, what are you doing? We're human beings. Like, even in that moment, he's still showing his his humanity. Like, he he doesn't want to have to be doing this. He just wants to serve his time for the, the crime he committed, even though it was a crime of passion. He still knows that he murdered someone. I'd like to add also that with uh, No Escape, there is a bit more theme of uh, that a lot of these men are guilty. For instance, Ray Liotta is guilty of murdering a CEO. Snake Plissken, definitely guilty. You know, war oh, criminal. Snake Plissken's a, a traitor to his country. He knows yeah. what he did. Oh, definitely. Although Snake, <laughs> Snake president of what? Where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> Snake is very, relevant. very nihilistic about it. I think he he lost his humanity a long time ago. It's also about retaining your humanity. And no escape. The one word that keeps coming up that Lance Henriksen uses: redemption. In redemption, there's a movie with Sean Penn called Bad Boys. Again, a modern day setting, but mm. the idea is holding on to who you are, not letting this environment change you. So prison can also become in these stories symbolic of society 
I know in Ken Kesey's One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, that's exactly yeah. what that's about. It, the Cuckoo's Nest is society and not letting it change us or alter us. So these are men who could say, oh, I did this, what I did for a noble reason, but how far is it until it's just murder, for instance? Well, by the end of, like, even, say, Escape from New York, you can see that Snake does kind of regain his humanity a little bit. Yes. You know, he's, he's genuinely trying to help these people that he's run into. And even at the end, when, when Hulk is like, uh, so you're going to kill me now, Pliskin? Maybe later. Tired. <laughs> I I would say with Snake, you even see it a little bit earlier, like Mm. the chock full of nuts girl. He seems genuinely, I mean, he just met her. He seems a little hurt when she dies so violently, you know, kind of. It's his fault a little bit. Sociopath. Like he obviously has some, some feelings. So it's like this is, you know, this is a human being that was just murdered by these weird sewer dwellers. That's, that's gonna, it's gonna affect you if you're even somewhat of a decent functioning human being. Like he is meant to, even though he's the anti-hero, he, he is meant to have some semblance of a, of a heart that much like the, the Grinch gets, uh, ten sizes bigger throughout the film. Well, his maybe arc. not ten sizes, maybe, maybe point two sizes bigger. <laughs> well, his arc even starts at the very beginning where he just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And- by the end, he does. It's By the end, he gives a shit. Does. He, he yeah. sees that the president is corrupt. He doesn't give him the, the proper tape. He gives him the cabbies, cabbies, little, little music tape. He went from not giving a shit to definitely giving a shit about something, which that, that's his arc. He cares again. That's what makes him caring once again about something is what makes him human again. Yes. Well, yeah, he, he was going to, he was going to kill Brain earlier in the film. And then mm-hmm. when Brain actually gets killed, he seems genuinely angry about that. Cause he's like, wait, that was, even though he screwed me over in the past on like a heist, it's like, that was, that was my friend, regardless. Okay, let's just stick with Snake Plissken for a moment. What about Escape from LA? LA wasn't so much a prison in that movie as it was just the people were kicking out of the fascist America. So, I don't know, is Escape from LA still a future prison movie? Not really? I don't know. I mean, that, that movie in itself is kind of a mess. Like, you could see that there was uh, a concept there that could have been cohesive, but I think there's a problem when you give John Carpenter a sort of inflated Hollywood budget. He doesn't know what to do with himself because he's so used to working with this minimal stuff. Now it's like, oh, I've got a budget. Let's put Snake Plissken on a tidal wave. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I I agree. Uh, Enjoy the movie on a campy level. Me too. Me too. I like Snake. But let's be honest, this one was rushed into creation without a very solid script. Felt that doing another literal escape from was probably not a good idea. I wish we could have actually gone around America, seen what it was like, and see yeah. Snake involved in a heist, see him involved. You know, there's a lot of thematic ideas you could have explored. You know, it could have been called Escape from America. Yeah, that's instead kind of, of just doing saying. basically just a higher budgeted version of Escape from New York. Like, there's so many scenes that are just scenes from Escape from New York. Like, even when he's in that little little mini sub thing when he's going over to L.A., like, they even mimic the that's lighting the when he's in the Gulf Fire. Like, it's that green and red and it's like it's just it's just carbon copy but with more of a budget and not the same uh not the same level of heart that uh, new york had 
What about when the Australians try to take this on? Escape 2000, a.k.a. Turkey Shoot. I, I understand the Turkey Shoot reference in the title. That's just, when I'm thinking of a future prison, you know, man-hunting-man movie, Turkey Shoot's not a great title. I prefer the Escape 2000 title. But I kind of like Turkey Shoot. That makes it sound, like, kind of sleazier for some reason to me. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, like you, you the... know you're getting, uh, you're, you know you're getting into something, like, weird and violent with that name. I don't know why, but it's just, like, to me, that's a better title. For it. Plus, for some reason, it makes it fit more of like the Ozploitation sort of aesthetic. Like Escape 2000 just sounds like Escape from New York knockoff. To me, it's not as like not as appealing. Except this is a movie where Steve Railsback and and uh, this is a movie uh, where Steve Railsback nearly gets killed by like the when they have the squibs on the on the cliff when he's getting shot at. One nearly went off like right in his head. It, it, it also has a, a Olivia Hussey. It has a werewolf man chasing them down who eats toes. Because <laughs> Australian, I guess. It also has one of the most brutal dispatchings of, like, a sort of main baddie, like that, the bald dude with the mustache or whatever. When, when he, he gets, gets his killed, arms cut off? I remember off? just screaming, holy shit, at the TV, because he just gets, like, obliterated. You just see his head come apart and, like, half of his torso. Like, that just comes out. Like, the movie's pretty violent to begin with, but you don't expect that. But, again, this is another one of those ones where Steve Ralsback is, I don't know if DJ is the right word, but he's like a pirate DJ trying to preach against the evils of the state, and it's... Mm. It's it's an evil, dystopian, oppressive state holding him down and trying to break his spirit, and they just will not break him because he's Charles Manson, man. I, I love most of the, especially the 80s, 80s Aussie movies. Um, they just had, they had this, this charm of the ludicrous and just very, very, very over the top, very colorful, extremely ultra violent, most of them. I, I just really enjoy that one a lot. Steve Railsback is really fun. I, I love all the very cartoonish looking villains, particularly the, um, isn't the, the one guy, the, the bald dude with the, the twirly mustache, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong. Isn't that the wrestler also that snake fight? In Escape from New York, same guy. I don't believe so. No, I don't it, believe so. He, like he, him, he is looks... from Mad. He is from the first Mad Max movie, though. Yes, he, yes, he was one of Max's crazy. partners. Yes. he's just a, a ghoulish-looking fella who just fits the the aesthetic of Turkey Shoot very perfectly. Like all I can say in terms of that movie is like if you're if you're looking for something like Running Man that's even more over the top than Running Man, Turkey Shoot is a fine film for that category. There's a, a bit more, I think, irony to that movie that it's sort of like to escape from that is to just escape, you know, out of the frying pan back into the fire. And you, you see a lot of that. So that, that's thematically interesting. It's just, of course, things are more brutal in the prison. Mm. That's about all I could really add to it. it. You feel you feel the oppression of the outside world more in that movie than you do in Escape from New York. Peter brought up The Running Man. Does The Running Man really count? Because, yes, at the beginning they're in prison, but is The Running Man game show actually future prison? Yes, they are prisoners, but they can, in quotes, earn their freedom, which we know is fake and is a lie. Is The Running Man the game within the movie? Is that actually a future prison or not? I would say no. I would say overall it's a futuristic prison-slash-prisoner movie because the game show in itself 
is tied to the prison system because you, you have these inmates that are in there that are still, they're still prisoners. They're still in jail, but they're given this opportunity to fight for their prison. So technically the running man game show is an extension of the prison. That's, that's the way I've always seen it. I would even say yes, because thematically it matches exactly the same themes as the other prison movies. It's oppression. There's this element of hope, holding on to life, holding on to one's humanity. It, it's all pretty much in there. So yeah, I would say it's definitely. And also just some of the greatest Arnold one-liners like ever ever uttered on celluloid it, it also has the fighting the system theme with with yes. with, with mick fleetwood subplot and dweezil zappa for some reason <laughs> with, with, with with their subplot this is just something we see in all of these there's a fighting the system sort of thing oh, like unquestionably running man does it really well too there, there's almost a verhoven-esque dystopia quality to it i could almost believe that running man takes place in the same future as like robocop or something like it has that that sort of vibe to it where it's kind of it, it's a believable future where everything's kind of it's dirty it's grimy but there's still so much corporate influence like very much like celebrity and game show talk show oriented the corporate all the corporate empires and stuff are very gleaming and shiny and look at this you if you have this you can succeed in life but then you notice like 85 to 90 or even more percentage of the population is just a lot of working class lower class people and then you can see in the backdrop there's like the bigger city and stuff it's it's very much that kind of fake it's like a fake capitalist ideology of like if you if if you do this you can succeed but like most of the people aren't succeeding they're either in prison or homeless or working their asses off trying to get by and then you have Killian and his big tower overall it's a very good like dystopian aesthetic that's in my opinion very like Verhoeven-esque in terms of like like a Robocop slash Total Recall sort of style which I've always liked about it. I think when I was a kid I always thought that it was the, the same guy who did Running Man but then I, I found out later that it was a different director Let, let's stick with the Arnold thing there Fortress the Christopher Lambert Jeffrey Combs Tom Tolles movie the Sweet best Gordon Paul movie. Verhoeven movie not made by Paul Verhoeven. It was also supposed to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, you could totally see that. The original, originally, it was supposed to have an $80 million budget, which at the time that this was made was a the equivalent of like a $200 million budget today. Mm. It was supposed to star Arnold, and then when, when he dropped out to do Last Action Hero, the company said, all right, we, we can't put $80 million behind this without Arnold. So mm. it got bumped down to about like a $12 million budget. Budget, which is still pretty decent and yeah. then christopher lambert took the role which makes me wonder because lambert is great in this actually the whole cast in this one is fantastic oh, absolutely uh, vernon wells jeffrey combs kirkwood smith as the kirkwood smith yeah, tom tolls weird does the, yeah he does something with like his nipples doesn't he like he's he's just odd. He, 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 well he's a cyborg so he yes, like yes. You know, the, 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 that's, that's where he recharges is like through his stomach through his where his belly button should be and <laughs> through the nipples because in the future of fortress people their overpopulation has required reproduction laws yeah. So you, all families are only, you get one kid. And Christopher Lambert and Lauren Lachlan's son died in childbirth and was stillborn. And they, and they're fighting the system by having another kid. Those children, it's not 
said that they're going to be like Kirkwood Smith, but it's heavily implied that all the cyborg guards and stuff are the kids they take away from people. The Mentel huh. Corporation is making your life better. Unless, you know, you're in the fortress. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's definitely, uh, you, you get the vibe that they were taking. Cause that, in the news at the time was the whole, uh, in China, they were not allowed more than two children. This sort of oppressive state kind of concept where now they're going into your bedroom. You know, uh, they're telling you who your family is, what your family is. And of course, if you exceed this, it's taken away and becomes a ward of the state, which as you see becomes an inhuman thing. I think you, you can't get much more literal in your symbolism than that it's it's obvious what they were going for but i'll tell you what no matter what i think that this movie enough cannot be said about the cast in it this is a very weird very imaginative movie this cast that sells it i personally am glad it was not schwarzenegger uh, i'm not putting schwarzenegger down with this but lambert does bring a weird sense of humanity plus arnold already did a movie kind of like that like it's it sort of it, i think if he were in it it would have been a little more forgettable because people would have just been like oh he's just he's doing running man again well you're not going to think of him as depending on the other inmates quite as no much. you're not and whereas not at all lambert, lambert makes a much better sort of every man that that might need help from people and might need to think more whereas you know you look at arnold and you figure well, he can just strong arm his way through this right you don't see him like when he's in that fight with i think it was tom towels wasn't it where he gets tom towels gets the hole blown in him Vernon no, Wells. That was, uh, Vernon no, Wells. That, that was Vernon that was Wells. Vernon Wells. Tom, Tom Tolles dies later in the movie. Tom Tolles joins their little escape plan thing. Okay, mm. well, there's that moment of humanity you see from Lambert that when he, he spares Vernon Wells, and you even see them kind of like for a moment, like even have a moment of camaraderie, and then Wells is just killed off. I don't think that moment would have played as sincere had it been Schwarzenegger. I think they would have gone a very different approach, you know, and Schwarzenegger would, of course, had to have, you know, I break you. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Lambert definitely brings a slight bit more of that, like you said, every man humanity. There's also one other weird element about Fortress I actually really liked. Kirkwood Smith's character wants Lauren Lachlan, while she's still pregnant, to sort of be his wife and leave Brennick. Christopher Lambert's character aside, in exchange, he will give Brennick a full pardon and let him go. The computer overrides him and won't let him do it, but I like the fact that he actually wasn't betraying them. The bad guy was actually going to hold up his end of the bargain if his superiors hadn't stopped him. I actually kind of liked that. They gave his character a weird humanity that, you know, he's not completely evil. He's he's, he's evil, just, uh, he's but he was... Well, he was going to hold up his end of the bargain if the computer hadn't overrided him, overrode him. And then, of course, there's Fortress 2, which you couldn't get Lauren Lachlan back. It's it's just more of the same. Christopher Lambert gets captured again by the Mentel Corporation and gets sent to a prison in space where he gets to punch Pam Greer. Wow. Yeah, that's it. It's it literally is almost the same movie. Yeah, it, it just, that one. Eh. But and then he fights a leprechaun and Jason and and Pinhead. What about 1991's Wedlock, aka Deadlock? See, I I I, I do remember watching this on HBO. It was an HBO original movie in '91, and I swore it was called Deadlock. 
and not Wedlock. And the trailer still has the title Deadlock on it. But this is the Rudger Hauer, Mimi Rogers, Joan Chen one. These running man-like collars are on their neck, and they can't be more than 100 yards apart or each of their heads will explode. And they end up escaping the prison, but they have to remain together because Rudger Hauer stole a bunch of diamonds, and Joan Chen is chasing him down. I remember, I haven't seen it since the 90s, I remember really enjoying Wedlock. But then again, it's Rudger Hauer and Mimi Rogers, so I don't know how you can't have chemistry. Well, there, how you know? are you not going to enjoy Rudger Hauer? Like, really? Like, that's that's hard. That's hard to do. This movie, yeah, this movie doesn't have a lot going for it outside. It's really just a remake of The Defiant Ones, you know, where two prisoners are handcuffed to each other and they're trying to get away. This is just a variation on the theme with a slight bit more plot, because as I recall, there's an evil corporation involved in this one, too. There's always an evil corporation. It, there's always an evil corporation, and I think the whole subplot was Rutger Hauer, you know, wants nothing to do with it, but then, of course, he has the change of heart. Uh, it's a fine movie. It's one of those great Saturday afternoon films. It's it's not bad at all, and I actually do recommend it. What about, then, something like Moon 44? Not Blade Runner ripoff where Michael Perret is an undercover cop going into a mining colony where prisoners have to fly the helicopters. It, I, I mean, it's still a prison movie to a degree. I remember this one. This is uh, Devlin and Emmerich's first film together, first major film together. I remember this one looking fantastic for its budget. It is so a Blade Runner ripoff visually. It, it gets a little annoying at times, and I remember the the shower rape scene where one of the prisoners rapes one of the civilian guys in the shower. I remembered that on HBO being more graphic than when I watched it on DVD. I was actually shocked and kind of happy that it wasn't nearly as graphic as I remembered it. If you're going to rip off like a cyberpunk future aesthetic, you might as well go with Blade Runner. No, I can't say a lot. I, I remember being i enjoyed it it was visually quite cool but i remember being very confused a lot of the time where the plot was where the plot was going it's a very claustrophobic movie in respect to you don't always know where you're at you don't know what's going on the scenes where they're flying through the mines or whatever they're supposed to be with those ships it's very convoluted. It's kind of cool, too, so I'd give it a, a, a passing recommend as well. This is also one of those movies where we know someone at Moon 44, that's why Michael Perret is there, wants someone's a traitor, and the boss at Moon 44 is Malcolm McDowell. And when he's revealed to the traitor, you're like, well, duh, you cast Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. It's not going to be any other character that's the traitor. Don't trust him. He killed Mozart. Demolition Man. Personally, I don't think the prison plays a huge role in it. I mean, obviously, Simon Phoenix, you know, escapes from the prison, technically. And, you know, you've got the, their, like the conditioning of Stallone having, you know, knitting and all this stuff. I don't know if Demolition Man counts as a prison movie. I don't think it counts either. It's The, the prison part is very, very minimal in that one. The whole idea of that one is just it's an inmate from the past and a cop from the future. And here's them, like... And they're, and they're hijinks in this like very watered down, neutered future where they don't fit in and it's like action comedy sci-fi kind of thing. I, I don't really think this one fits as, as a prison movie. It's more of just like future satire slash, slash action. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'll take the opposition of the argument just for a moment to say that one could argue this could be about the effects of this type of harsh punishment on someone and what could be the repercussions, you know, coming out. There's, there is a theme about can you actually recondition a human being or are they the same no matter what? You know, they're still yeah. violent, but they can knit. So there are some themes in there, I would argue, but I agree. It's ultimately not a future prison. Okay. What about Chronicles of Rid- now, obviously, Riddick, you know, is a prisoner being transported and escaped in pitch black. But in Chronicles of Riddick, we have basically the entire second act is in the prison, crematoria. Does Chronicles of Riddick count as a future prison movie? I say yes. I'd say it does. A, a very large chunk of the movie. Like, to me, the most the most memorable part of that movie is in the prison. Yeah, because the movie um, doesn't fall apart until the third act. Doesn't he kill a guy with, like, a metal coffee cup or something? Teacup. That was pretty yes. cool. Well, I would say that once again, here we go into, if you look at the first film and the second one uh, specifically, I think you deal again with those themes of, of hope and redemption. I think it both, well, actually even into the third film, we're excluding the animated film from this, just the movies. There is this theme of hope, redemption, and the idea of being a prisoner of who you are as versus what people think you are. This is a very large part. The, the very character, uh, the, the captain, I can't think of her name, that plays the part, R- R- Rhoda Mitchell, or can't think of her name. I apologize. You find out she did something she regrets. She has a bit of cowardice, but by the end, she gets over this, and she becomes very strong, and she actually dies trying to save Riddick, who is just out and out a bad guy. And as she, and he gets and, mad at that. He, well, she gets yanked into the sky to die, and he screams, not for me! And he doesn't understand it. His bra- and so this is the beginning of his actual redemption story at the very mm. end of the movie. So I would argue, yes, thematically, it is about that. And then the next two films just carry on those themes. Except Riddick, kind of like Snake Plissken, he actually did the crimes he's convicted of. Oh, now. he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. That's what makes him different than, say, Max from Road Warrior or even Plissken. You always see traces of Plissken's humanity. It's there. Yeah. He could have shot Brain in the library, but he doesn't. You see he's not evil, whereas you get the hint Riddick is a dark-souled individual who, like I said, by the end begins to actually show real humanity. What about Alex in Clockwork Orange? Does that count as a prison movie? <laughs> it, I, I think that one kind of does. And, and and that one is not so much about finding your humanity, but having humanity forced upon you, really, when you get down to Alex. For this one, I'll cheat and go to the author a little bit more. And I recall an interview with him where he said it was about the notion of young people when they go through, like, the, the hardest period of being young. You know, your hormones are raging. You have all this energy, all this testosterone. Being from England, there were a lot of street thugs. And that's kind of what he was basing it on. He was saying that, okay, they're bad at this moment, but it's kind of like, he, he wasn't condoning their actions, but he was saying, is putting someone like that in prison for life, for instance, a good idea when that period will pass? They won't be so full of testosterone. They won't be filled with so much rage. That's why, if, you know, later on, other characters are even police officers. And the irony is a little more on the book than the movie. It makes it harder. I almost want to say no, because it's more of an indictment about how people treat crime. But if you want to, uh, it's not necessarily unfair. I've always seen Clockwork Orange as more of like a dystopian movie, like dystopian future in general, kind of like a a bleak look at uh, 
what we could have to to look forward to. But then there's an element there of, you know, the Ludovico treatment and stuff, but it's it's just part of the character play. It's not really so much look at this prison. It, it's more like look at what Alex DeLarge is going through, what kind of person he is, and just so forth. Like, I, I don't think it really has that much to do with the, the prison itself. It's it's narrated by him through the through the whole thing. It's It's basically just a character study of this very disturbed person. Then what about slave girls from beyond infinity? <laughs> they are, they are escaped prisoners. I mean, yes, the bulk of the movie is basically most dangerous game in space when boobies, they're escaped prisoners. The girls are. Does that count? Well, the shedding of clothes is symbolic of shedding the chains of society. I have not. Uh, Elizabeth Katane literally breaks her chains in the movie, too. Does, does face-off count with the, the super space boots? <laughs> no, because that, that took place contemporarily, even though that was a spacey-type prison. Right, but that we're talking future prisons. And there's, a, there's doves. But, I mean, come on. Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, is it a prison movie? Kind of? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it is. Kind of? It is. Well, okay, uh, how about the one that's all about a prison, technically? Alien 3. Mm. Alien 3, I mean, it's literally on a prison planet. Yes, it's an alien movie, it's a chase movie, it's a creature feature. It's also a future prison movie. It is. Even though the, actually... act, the actual prison part is less integrated into the plot. I mean, yes, it, it, it's part, it's part of the plot. It's not like they, they have to escape from the prison. They're just trying to survive in a prison, you know? Well, I think the fact that it takes place in the prison makes it count as a future prison movie. It literally is in the future. It's a futuristic prison. Inmates in the future on a planet on a prison, future prison with an alien in it. So it's, it's absolutely a future prison movie. Like I think it counts. It doesn't necessarily have to be called, called like future prison 2666 or whatever. It, it, it can be anything. It could be alien three, but as long as it takes place through the majority of it, like the, the vast majority of the film taking place in a prison, especially a future one, it counts in the criteria of what we're talking about. Also, I, I think Alien 3 is is excellent. I think a lot of people purposely overlook that one. I, I think that's where the Alien films should have stopped. I think 1 through 3 would have been fine. I, I've always very much enjoyed that one. I love the aesthetic of that planet. I think it, it feels more like what Ridley Scott did with the first movie. I think David Fincher did a great job. With all, uh, I think everybody did a great job doing the set dressings and the set pieces of it. I, I love the overall vibe of that one. It's a perfect, oppressive, future, dystopian, dirty kind of prison. And then, then you, you throw in an alien into that, and it works other than some like very dated looking CG effects of it, like climbing on the ceilings or whatever. I, I think in terms of, um, if you want to make an example of like a, a very good looking, creepy, corporately oppressive future prison aesthetic, Alien 3 is incredibly effective in that regard. It's also one of the worst films, worst sequels ever made, but we're no, not going to go into that. No, it's, it, a garbage, it, it's a garbage trash. No, film. it is. Do you not, uh, in Resurrection, come on. Resurrection was better than three. No, it wasn't. Definitely is a prison movie. You know, when I saw it in the theater, and I saw it under bad circumstances, I'd like to add, I didn't care for it. I was very disappointed in it. Later, when I finally saw, uh, I don't know if they called it the director's cut or extended cut. I don't remember what they called it. It's like an assembly uh, cut. Assembly cut, that's mm. it. I have to say, I really liked it a lot more. And I think that it's interesting. You, you, it's something I didn't notice on the first pass, but it really is. I've always said that maybe Ripley 
it, it's not a very good Ripley movie, but at the same time, if you look at it, it encompasses really sort of a very, uh, a female in a prison concept of, it's all of her worst nightmares, like uh, uh, not just hers, but a woman's. I oh, mean, God, yeah. they had Newt, and she's Newt's dead. They shorn her hair. That's the symbol, you know, of womanhood, the hair. She she's also surrounded by a bunch of horrible rapists and murderers. They, they literally tried to rape her. She does find a bit of love. Guess what happens to him the moment they make love? She's he's killed. It's like just this. Endless, and then what's like an unwanted pregnancy? Literally, oh. an unwanted pregnancy that leads to her own death at the end. So mm-hmm. I think this film is much more symbolic than I ever caught on the first time I saw it. I think you're reading into way too much. Well, this, no, th- th- this vast on, waste a of a film. That is how is it a waste of film? Six examples there. Come on. How is it? Oh my god. Okay, this is actually frustrating. How is it a waste of film? We'll talk about it next week. I just decided next week's topic, we're gonna, we're gonna debate. I'm gonna argue with sequels. you about Alien 3. What about The One? Is that a future prison movie? Is that the, the Jet, Jet Li one with, um, because all the uh, different the, Jet Lees? Yeah, because they're trying to send him to pr- the prison Stygia. We do see the prison at the end. Mm. The whole point is to catch, well, okay, the whole point of Jason Statham and Delroy Lindo is to catch him and send him to Stygia. His whole point is to kill all of his alternate universe selves. I don't know, does, does The One count as a prison movie why is he trying to kill all his alternate universe selves again because if he kills all of his other selves because there's there's so much energy that are divided amongst all the other yous right and if you kill all of them you become like a god because you get all of the energy because it's no longer divided equally so it's not only like kills prison movie it's it's kind of like highlander sort of sort of yeah yeah he has to kill all of the other hymns. And then he becomes the one, and he's nobody's bitch. You are my bitch! God of all universes is basically the other. I am nobody's bitch! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with no, just for the record. I don't think it encompasses any of the themes we talked about this No, version. none. <laughs> okay, Here, here's one Fred can talk about. Trancers 1.5. You brought up to me that that's a prison movie, and it kind of is. I mean, I know it's technically a short film, but we're going to cheat a little on that. Well, the only reason I brought it up was that it, it starts in the prison and ends with the prison. I, I, to be fair, it's not really a prison film. I just don't think it ultimately qualifies as a prison movie. I think the prison looks cool. I, I've, my great regret is this isn't the real Transfers 2. I wish it was a feature length. I love the idea that a, a prisoner of the future would go back in time to try to assassinate Jack Death, to which that leads them back to the future and they fight in the prison again. I like that thematically. I think, wow, that would have been a great Transfers 2. But now that I'm saying it out loud and thinking of the movie in my head, thematically again, it doesn't qualify. It's, it's not about the oppression it's not about the spirit it's not about the hope it's about jack death being cool so i have to actually defeat myself on this one what about the rock band Styx's movie kilroy was here where rock and roll has been outlawed in a dystopian future and the band sticks are freedom fighters fighting to rock i've never seen it that just sounds gay <laughs> he's getting revenge for alien 3 don't take that judge <laughs> <laughs> then, okay, then, no, this is a TV series, and I don't, and we never found out exactly when, so this, I think, is Future Prison. What about The Prisoner? Because, yes. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it is absolutely. technically yeah. a sequel, it's a technically a sequel to Secret Agent Man, which would make it set at least some point in the near future to when it was made in the 60s, 
the prisoner is almost by definition a prisoner show. I mean, it's in the freaking title. It's without question for me. Again, going back to thematically, what have we brought up? And it's it's all in there. It's definitely a bit more artsy because it is saying society is a prison, uh, why we do the things we do, who is in charge of it. They're all numbered. You can't get much more literal than that. You know, who is number one? Yeah, well, who is number one? It's, it's I am not a number. I am a free man and my blood is my own. It's, it's thematically there. And the rest of it is just a really awesome idea and a really cool setting but yes i i think it qualifies without doubt without a doubt that's like um that's one of the earlier examples of that sort of thing too like a futuristic dystopian prison kind of thing it it features it features every point of reference in, in terms of the dystopian aesthetic you know it's in the future oppressive corporations and all that stuff i think the prisoner absolutely counts and I think with the prisoner, now I'm going to get a little interpretive of the ending, is that even when he escapes and he feels good, he's escaped, there's still the implication he's still in the prison. Because when he goes back to his house, the door swings the same way all the doors on, on the island did. Yeah. Instead of the way it was in the intro sequence when it was like a normal door, implying he only thinks he escaped, and what he escaped to is just another prison. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the society aspect of it. Society is a prison. What really makes a future prison movie, other than the obvious being in a prison in the future? What elements must you have for this? Oppressive evil corporation, sadistic warden, sadistic guards, the destruction of hope. Is this what a future prison movie requires? Or do you think you could really... Because in almost all of these, I can't think of one, there isn't the sadistic warden, where there isn't the evil corporation or evil government Really, what what does it take to be a future prison movie besides the obvious? Up front, I was just thinking of this, and I can't believe none of us didn't think of this. Uh, George Orwell's 1984. That's not in a prison. It is a prison. There is your perfect example of society as a prison. The world itself is the prison, yeah. So I would say it's like any good piece of science fiction. You're saying what defines a future prison. I think we're looking into what defies science fiction. It's a speculative nature about where we're going as human beings. What would put us in prison? The choices we make that lead to those moments. You know, we could easily say it's it's ray guns, you know, and robots. That's just the aesthetic that, you know, tells us, oh, we're we're in the future. They have lasers. I think it is it's really about the choices we make. Most of the films we've brought up do deal with the concept of the choices we make and what the consequences of those choices we make. Not just in a moment, I shoot somebody, I go to prison. What leads to that prison existing in the first place? Escape from New York covers that. The choices that the country made to create New York as a prison. That's a pretty dark idea thematically it's really not that far off from 1984 so i would say something along those lines well i would say even escape from la more than new york because they go more into the political aspect of you know no red meat no cigarettes no premarital sex no gays that i I think that one was using the ideal let's just say for the sake of this argument la was a prison the same as new york was using of cleansing society, if you will. Because that's really what a prison is. It's to get rid of the parts of society that you don't like. That means people have committed crimes. Define crimes. I don't mean, like, obvious murder, rape. In a lot of these future prison movies, look at Steve Rouse back in Escape 2000. His crime 
was speaking out against the totalitarianism of the government. He didn't kill anybody to get in prison. He didn't rape anybody to get in prison. His crime was speaking. I do think, yeah, that it's, it all, um, it all, of course, culminates from you're, you're taking your average sort of modern prison movie and you're obviously doing a futuristic take on it, which I think is where the evil warden trope tends to come from because most, mm-hmm. most prison movies in general have that sort of ideal of the anti-hero that's trying to escape, the evil warden that's, uh, doing a little more than the, than the actual state knows that he's doing. And of course you add a future spin to it. But I think overall, yeah, of course it needs to have that sort of oppressive, uh, the, the world has become bleak, the world has become dystopian, but there's that one center of, of human, like indomitable human spirit and heart that sort of drives the story. That's not just a future prison thing, that's a future thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely. Because I'm thinking of like the Steve Ralsback thing of just speaking out. Look at a movie like Rebel Waves, or if you're in Europe, Rising Storm, same movie. Rock and roll is seen as so dangerous that, that, that they oppress it and DJs are criminals by the fact that they're getting on the air and telling people, don't listen to your government. And now, now that's more of a, of a satire of a movie, and it's got a lot of legitimately funny moments to it. But it even starts in a prison. One of our two main characters is just getting out of prison where a giant dyke bitch is electrocuting his crotch as his final test to get out of prison. And you're like, yeah, that's not symbolic of anything, huh? I think we all fear that one. <laughs> when I look at, again, I'm going to point out it's sad that Future Prisons is an entire subgenre, that we keep going to this well, and there are these tropes that are in them. All of these things have the same connective tissue, and that's what's disturbing about this whole thing is because film is a reflection of society, what does that say about how we see society that we are reflecting this much that this is an entire freaking subgenre? Well, I mean, there's truth is always stranger than fiction, and of course for fiction there's always a little bit of truth. So there's always some level of um, commentary socially when with uh, these types of movies, especially the futuristic dystopian prison movies, obviously there is a lot of symbolism there. And sometimes it's a little ham-fisted, sometimes it's directly on point, but there's always a little bit of truth when it comes to satire and obviously, especially obviously political and social commentary, especially of its, there, there's always some sign of uh, the time when the movie or work of fiction in general itself was made. Like, obviously, 1984 was was made out of the fear of, you know, communism and oppression or whatever overtaking America and the world at large and turning the world itself into one big prison where no one has any rights or freedom or or anything. So it all comes from some wariness of the future or even wariness of the the present of of what's going on. So of course, I would say that. And even to I, I don't like to get too political, but to offer on both sides of this fence, we could see uh, just the last presidency. There was a law passed where you couldn't protest within so many blocks of where you would be put in jail for protesting within so many blocks. That was mm-hmm. a law. Before that, we had the inaction of the Patriot Act, which I don't think I have to explain much, where people were being grabbed right out of their houses for things they said. We're all Literal about, thought policing. Yeah, we are. I, I wish I could remember the expression, but it says something about two steps away from any you know law imprisoning us all. These films, these stories have always reflected on that and they're reminders, whether it's look at yourself or look at what's around you. We're always going to need those stories, I think. 
or they're just going to happen anyway, whether we need them or not. You will see them. They reflect the culture we live in. I just want to know what an anti-escape orb actually reflected. Was that just a 60s getting high thing? When, when the, 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 the big white bubble would just in, encompass you? Oh, the rover, you mean? Oh, okay. The, well, rover. I, I, I think that was just, they, the real rover broke down and they couldn't get it to work, so they made a big giant balloon. That's why it's a giant <laughs> balloon. <laughs> they couldn't get the real thing to work. <laughs> Where can we find Peter, then, who has made his parole? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Then they're going to know where I am. Good point. If you do want to follow my exploits, of course, you can see me on Twitter at Cinematica. You can see me on Facebook, The Cinemasticist, YouTube, The Cinemasticist, at 1201beyond.com, which, of course, with this show, my show, plenty of other fine quality shows on uh, Patreon at Cinematica where you can you can support me and you can listen to my anti-government propaganda. I thought that was my job. Well, can it be both? You know, you want a hard-shell taco, I want a soft-shell taco. You want pinto beans, I want black beans. Why can't we have both? Why not both? Why not both? You, you, subtext going on here, boys, let me tell you. No, I just like black beans. <laughs> well, you... you... You, 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 can, you can find me speaking out against the oppressive government and fr- from my underground stronghold at 1201beyond.com. And you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
what the motherfucker eats. It's something filled with my homeboy. Guts made out of steel and concrete. Bow to the devil. Listen close, cause I've been there before. And you don't wanna die there. They call me going out the back door. Bow to the devil. Let me tell you what that sucker eats. It's something filled with lost souls. Guts made out of steel and concrete. Bow to the devil. Listen close, cause I've been there before. And you don't wanna die there. They call me going out the back door. The back door. The back door. The back door. Radio Drum is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.